0: Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast
1: about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 53. It's good to be with you once again. Uh, Let me speak first to my Apple Podcast listeners if you happen to have updated your devices to iOS 14.6 and you go to your podcasts, it looks quite a bit different. Um, if you're like me, you, you may listen to podcasts such as this one, and you may possibly have saved an episode that you liked, uh, streamed it, clicked the add button, or maybe the uh, downloaded it. But just that episode, well, in the old format on Apple Podcasts, you would have a shows list and Life in the Pit or any other podcast that you follow would show up on that show list. You didn't necessarily have to click on the subscribe button. Well, the new Apple Podcasts really puts a premium on that and they don't call it subscribe anymore. They call it follow. You have to click follow on this podcast if you want new episodes to show up. Um, I had only followed two podcasts, this one and one other one. And so this morning when I looked, all of my podcasts were gone. Well, that's not true. They're, they were not gone, but they were not visible. And so I just want to give you this hint. If you were like me and you did not, you were not subscribed to this podcast or, or any other podcast you're looking for, and you want to find them again, what really helped me Uh, was if you go to the search window just type the word t-h-e the and there's a little tab at the top that shows you where are you looking are you looking on all of the podcasts or are you looking under your library well if you look under your library you will see all of the podcasts where there's a title such as life in the pit or any of your podcasts are going to have T-H-E in the description somewhere. So uh, I found all of them, and I was able to click follow. So uh, just if you don't mind, take time to do that. Uh, If you listen to this via Apple Podcasts, um, it it is one reason why a lot of people are using other apps such as Spotify. Uh, Wherever you decide, decide you want to listen to Life in the Pit, we are there if it is a major podcast app. And appreciate you checking out each of these episodes. So, now on to this week. My guest is Jennifer Wharton. Jennifer Wharton plays tenor trombone, bass trombone, tuba, basically the low brass. And she has an extensive performance experience uh, as a Broadway musician, but also just living around New York. She is currently in the pit of West Side Story, but she's also played for Curtains, 9 to 5, Wonderland, Porgy and Bess, Scandalous, Jekyll and Hyde, King Kong, and Beautiful, the Carol King musical. And we will talk about most of those shows in our upcoming conversation. And she's also played extensively with jazz orchestras all over the world, and she has her own little fun group that we'll talk about called Bonegasm without further delay, here's my conversation with Jennifer Wharton. Jen, thank you for taking time to talk to me today.
0: Thank you for having me
1: so you play I mean I know you play trombone uh your email signature it cracks me up every time I see it. it just says I play low notes <laughs> <laughs> uh so you not you don't just play the trombone you play uh it looks like your specialty is the bass trombone would that be correct
0: yes bass trombone um in my order of preference which no one cares about but my order of <laughs> preference would be bass trombone tuba tenor trombone um i don't enjoy playing tenor trombone a lot but right i do it because sometimes that makes me money
1: well yep <laughs> that's true uh, i guess if you if you specialize too much you know like i'm, I'm sure like there's probably really world-class contrabassoon players out there, but I don't know how much money they would make <laughs> if that was like the only instrument they said, I'll only play contrabassoon.
0: Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I didn't even know about bass trombone until mm, maybe maybe grad school, because I went to a small college and we just had tenor trombone players. and. and and i don't know for some reason we just kind of skipped over that part of orchestration so i guess i didn't accept that it was a more common instrument than it was but some of my favorite passages from orchestral music and features the bass trombone like uh, my favorite violin concerto of all time and i'll butcher the french but it's by the composer Henri Mm Dutilleux. and uh like uh was it l'arbre no l'arbre de sanges it means the tree of dreams and is there's a point in the middle where it's like it must be like three p's crescendoing to three f's or something like that but this bass trombone just comes out of nowhere just crescendoing and I, and i think it's hit with a timpani and a tuba at the at the high point or at the loud point and it's just it just sneaks in and boom just this big splat (laughs) it's so great and uh you know it's almost like a i guess a horror movie cliche you know it's just those low rumbly notes on there yeah
0: yeah i've been playing bass trombone since i was in the seventh grade so (laughs) um what's
1: the difference in range isn't it like a tritone isn't like or like instead of an e go to b flat or is it uh like on the low end
0: Oh, in terms of difference between tenor and bass? Yeah. yeah. So, um, because, because of the nature of brass instruments, um, tenor trombone is just missing a, a chunk of the range. So they can play down to a low E, which is just below the bass cleft staff, and then they have pedal notes, which are, you know, the fundamental of, of the um, overtone series. Right. Uh, so they're missing between the low E and the pedal note, and then it's while their pedal notes are fine it sounds way better on a bass trombone in in many cases not not every case but um in right. many cases it sounds way better on a bass trombone and a bass trombone can play a lot lower than right than that even especially a great bass trombone player can play a lot lower than that
1: nice
0: so um yeah they're just missing a chunk um and there's ways of even faking it on tenor trombone. Um, you right. can fake these notes, but yeah. Right. Uh, it, they sound really good on bass trombone. <laughs> right.
1: So besides bass trombone and tenor trombone, I was just looking at your Broadway list. So you've played tuba at least, uh, well, it looks like four times. So um, maybe now's just a good time. Let's just talk about how did you get into music and in and, and what order did you pick up these instruments?
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, I started playing... The, maybe it was the recorder in elementary school. Mm. And then when I got to the junior high school, um, I started playing trombone. I originally wanted to play a saxophone, but my sister played saxophone. and She was mad at me for copying her. So I picked trombone instead. Right. And then the second year I played, which would have been seventh grade, I missed the day that they did auditions for seats. So mm. I got stuck on last chair and he handed me uh, basically it was, a tenor trombone with an F attachment, but it functioned in that band as a bass trombone, and so I knew that if I hit the valve, it would play a low F, and that's basically all I knew. Right. <laughs> um, but I did that for the next two years in the in the junior high band that I was in, and then when I got to high school, I quit playing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, As uh, I decided to become a cheerleader Many, I'm sure many bass drumroll players Decided to become cheerleaders in high school But I um, missed it so much So halfway I guess it would have been halfway through my junior year I decided to pick it up again After not playing in two and a half years And played tenor for about three months And then played bass for my senior year
1: Right. By the way, where, where is all this? I didn't even ask where you're from.
0: Oh, I'm from Pittsburgh, California. No oh. H.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a tiny town. It's about 45 miles northeast of San Francisco. Oh, okay. So if you were to leave San Francisco and try to drive to Sacramento, you would hit us. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and when I when I started playing again, the band director was uh he was a great brand director. He had a good band program or cross the third he is the reason why i decided to pursue music mm-hmm. as a career and he um he told me well here's a tuba learn these fingerings
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yes. and i'm okay yeah you know it's a nice i kind of wish i was still at that age where someone would tell me something that i needed to do and i'd just be like okay right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whereas now I'm I'm trying to tell myself what I need to do And I'm just like, nah
1: Right <laughs> It's hard to be your own boss <laughs> Yeah
0: So yeah, the, and then when I was going to college I didn't have any money And we didn't know anything We were really dumb about um, student loans and stuff um, Financial aid So I went to the junior college in our hometown Which had a great music program run by my one of my favorite Johns John Maltester um, I have several favorite Johns. He is one of them. And um, he, he he just got a hold of me. He remembered me from my high school days. And he said, okay, you're going to play in all these ensembles and, and everything. And it took me so long to get out of a junior college program just because I was taking so many music classes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It took me three years to get out of a two-year program. Right. <laughs> but it was time well spent because I was really... I was far behind just the curve um Mm -hmm. because of the time that i had taken off in high school and i didn't even have a lesson until my second year of college right um so it was it was time well spent i don't know if i could have made it to where i am without spending it there because it was such a nurturing environment Mm -hmm. but um you know, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for that junior college experience. I'm a proud junior college graduate. And then I transferred to New England Conservatory. Okay. Yeah.
1: You are actually the... I um, see, I'm not sure what order these episodes have come out in. You're the second person in a row I've talked to from... who went to New England Conservatory. I just uh, talked to... I mean, I don't know... I mean, he, he's completely different generation, so you may not know him. I just talked to uh, Paul Perfetti. He's... Mm-hmm. He was the he he was a long time he played six thousand sh- shows of the les mis tour as the first oh. as trumpet number one you know so so uh quite quite a bit of that but he still lives in boston so he yeah he said that he was there for i guess maybe it was his master's degree or something like that i'm not sure but
0: yeah it, it i will say it's a it was a complete culture shock going from the Bay Area and California in California, and being in this sort of uh, mixed environment where there were serious musicians, but it was kind of like everybody was trying to find their footing at this junior college, and then going to NEC where there were all these people that had basically no social skills and right. only practiced for you know their whole lives, right. and I just it was wild. I right. had a wild time trying to figure that out.
1: Right. Um, yeah've I've seen we have a lot of colleges in this area so I, I mean I don't, I don't know if I said in advance I'm, I'm located in North Carolina I'm in great, oh, okay in, in the Greensboro winston-salem area we've got we've got a lot of colleges with music programs with the most famous one is uh, uh, North Carolina School of the Arts and then we also have Wake Forest University we have um, we have UNC Greensboro which has a very good um, music, music program, and actually like even teaches multiple reads, you know, to people so they can do that in theater. <laughs>
0: That's a, I think, I think, uh, one of my old coworkers, uh, was just down there, uh, right. Sarah Giacovino. I think she was just hmm. down at UNC Greensboro. Yeah. I'm um, talking to, I don't know if she, she was probably talking to the jazz department, but
1: yeah, they have a very good, yeah. Outstanding jazz department. And then, uh, you know, of course, like John Coltrane is from this area, and UNCG, or is it Green? There's another, or it might be Guilford College. There's a college in Greensboro that has like Miles Davis trumpet. So it's like, you know, so much, <laughs> so much yeah. history in this area. Yeah. But occasionally, uh, you know, I'll I'll hire someone for a pit, you know, and you, you know to fill a need, and and you'll get you'll get someone who plays really well, but you can tell that not a lot of social skills so it's kind of it's kind of fun to meet those people and just wonder you know i wonder if they'll adjust as they get some experience or (laughs) yeah or if they'll always be that person that's just going to do their job and then uh
0: (laughs) i think it's funny because even in new york the way that our contract works uh there are no auditions for broadway so it's all word of mouth yeah so it's on a certain level, I feel like most people expect that you can do the job. Like if you got called to do the job, they expect you can do the job. But one of the reasons people will get called is because they're good co-workers. They're yeah. good people to have around. If your show runs for 30 years, something like Phantom, you don't want to be sitting next to a jerk. Right. You know, and it's in the in the con- contractor's best interest to have people that are that can work well together. So and, and there have been many cases where that has gone wrong.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, work, working well with others—very important rule of the pit.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, so we got. So at what point? Well, I guess you know, living in Boston uh, puts you closer to New York. Was playing for? When did you start playing for theater? I, I should have asked that. Uh, did you do that? And before you moved to Boston.
0: I did, and it was—it was actually something I didn't enjoy, okay. <laughs> which is funny <laughs> yeah. considering you know where I ended up. But um, right. I would sub for community theater. I would sub at—I uh, guess it was the what is it called now? Regional Center of the Arts or the Lesher Center? It's in Walnut Creek, California. Mm. And I would sub for a buddy of mine, and he wouldn't pay me. Mm. Oh that's
1: kind of that's not nice. Yeah,
0: until someone calls him on it and he finally like flowed to me like thirty bucks or something to do a <laughs> rehearsal. Yeah. So um because he was getting paid for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know and I was young. I had no idea. So when I found that I was like a little soured on it. And um and then I I didn't do so I went to NEC. So that was before NEC. I went to NEC. I didn't do any musical theater. Mm. Uh, went back home to freelance after NEC. so I, I was in Boston for two years, went back home to start freelancing and I started doing more community theater and sort of in a, in a wider footprint. So I would go to Alameda, which is at least an hour and a half uh, commute from where I grew up and, and stuff and it there's a lot of um, freeway orchestras in California they call them. Mm. Um, it's the same thing with with theater, so right. You would get called and end up driving for hours to oh, go and, okay. and do, you know, something that paid 50 bucks. Mm. So, um, I did that. And then I went to Manhattan school for a year, mm-hmm. uh, to do my master's in orchestral performance. And I hated it. But mm. that summer after my first year, I got asked to do a show in San Francisco as a Broadway tryout of wicked. Oh yeah. So that what? was 2003. And okay. I did Wicked before I went to Broadway. And nice. that was my first good experience.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the right the, the right place can make a difference. Okay. Yeah. So um, with, when you were in Boston, what was your goals after you graduated? Did, were you thinking, I'm going to go to New York and play for Broadway? Or did you have something else in mind?
0: I did not even think of Broadway as, as a possibility mm-hmm. um, because... I came up and I always played in big bands and I always played in uh wind ensembles and I just wanted to play,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it seemed like there was this, like, you know, a fork in the road and you had to choose, okay, are you going to be a jazz musician? or Are you going to be a classical musician? And if it's classical, it has to be this thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said, well, I don't improvise. And so I guess I'm classical. Right. And I went that direction and even though I still played in big bands and stuff, I, I just went the classical direction. I didn't even try to improvise. And um, it was, I think, it gave me a lot of foundation for what I do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think it's helpful that I also played in big band. Right. But um, ultimately, I just wanted to play, which is sort of counter to what many of my fellow students were thinking, they were all thinking orchestral gig, whatever. Right. And I I wasn't really, I mean, I was trying really hard to envision myself in that role. Right. But I really just wanted to play.
1: Right. So
0: when when um the show thing, when Wicked showed up and I was like, this sounds really dumb, this show.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and people were nuts for it. Yep. And here I was making money and um not paying to play like you sometimes do when you go to school i said okay i'm never going back to school again (laughs) right (laughs) and that's what started my broadway career was that show wicked
1: nice yeah Yeah. so when did you i'm just trying to figure out the timeline i guess curtains was your first broadway
0: show it
1: looks like you it looks like i'm assuming that was a principal chair because you you've got like about a year and a half of dates on there uh. yeah
0: yeah so um what happened was i did wicked in san francisco uh i decided i wasn't going to go back to school um then in 2004 lion king came in to Mm. san francisco so i did a year of lion king in san francisco and then through that time i decided i was going to go back to new york and try my hand at broadway Mm and uh the guy i was dating had kept his apartment in new york because he was uh, also playing lion king at the same time with me in san francisco mm-hmm. and so we both moved back in 2005 i started subbing on lion king within three months subbing on wicked within six months because of all the relationships i had started from san francisco right um cuz those were new york people we were playing with right or or playing for so they vouched for me when i came to new york which was really really helpful nice and um, then by the next year i had curtains nice yeah very um, lucky
1: i don't really know that show i have i've heard the name but i I've, I've never checked out the cast recording or Anything about the show, so I don't even know what it's about.
0: <laughs> it was uh the lead was David Hyde Pierce and oh. um uh the Deb Monk was in it as well. Okay. And Jason Donnelly. Donnelly might yeah, um, and I'm trying I'm my memory is failing with the rest of the cast, but it was an adorable little show. It was very traditional Broadway, Candor and Ebb show.
1: Right. And
0: it was adorable, and I had such a good time. I met a lot of good people. And it was a very good show to have my first New York show be because the cast was very sweet, all hanging out with the musicians. That does not always happen. Right. Uh, the conductor was really cool. Um, you know, it was just a pleasure to, to have done that show because I, I had experiences that were not as pleasant right <laughs> as since then
1: <laughs> right now i know the next show pretty well because of music directed a version of it nine to five mm-hmm. um now that's a pretty short <laughs> a pretty short run for you but do do i understand from looking at your bio that was like the cast recording did you is or what was your involvement yeah. on that so
0: yeah i that was my show so uh um Curtains was my show. I did the whole run. I did the whole run of 9 to 5. It was short on Broadway. Oh, wow. It did not do nearly as well as anyone thought it would, and I just think, uh, looking back at it, I don't think it was marketed well. Right. Um, Because it should have done better. It well, really should have. All you got
1: to do is say it's Dolly Parton songs now, and it would go for years. <laughs> I yeah, would think.
0: <laughs> it, You would think, but they tried that, and it did not go over well, mm. because there are certain shows in New York that... Um, locals come to see Quite often right? And repeatedly hmm. And then there are certain shows that Tourists come to see And then there are certain shows that both come to see So it's it was one of those things Where it didn't appeal to It should have done way better It, yeah. it really should have I, right. I'm not sure what the answer is I'm not a marketing expert in any way But right. it definitely was not marketed well
1: Yeah I, I wasn't like Putting the, the months next to each other It went a little longer than I th- thought I guess it went a, a little, about six months or so But that's uh, that's just surprising I, be, Because that show is so popular on a local level Any, Anytime a community theater or a college does it around here You know, it's it's a popular show So it's just funny that it didn't do well in New York
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, that's funny too Is that some of these shows do way better on tour Than they ever do in New York right um so that's that's i think what from what i've seen i think that most companies try to get a tour out and running before the new york show will close right just to have that longevity
1: right and uh you know and i know if if those are if we were doing like the two-hour podcast format we could cover all these shows you've got uh (laughs) you got wonderland uh so, but now talk about the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Is that a special production?
0: So the Gershwin estate is extremely, um, they regulate how Porgy and Bess is used. And I mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but to call it Porgy and Bess, it had to be called the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Um, I'm not sure why that was legal. That was a legal reason why that had oh, to happen. Okay. Um, and having most recently worked on West Side Story, I see where the estate gets involved and it can be it can be a lot of extra uh, drama. You know.
1: Red tape. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, so the Gershwin's Porky and Bess is the longest running version of Porky and Bess ever. Right. And it was only nine months. Hmm. People yeah. tend to not like rape scenes in their musicals.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah um yeah well it's also one of those that's yeah it's probably got a lot of there's a lot of things that you could talk about like that's you know it's a musical you you know you couldn't present that as a new musical and that would not fly now but it's such a i guess musically and historically important um piece of work i mean it's i i don't know that it's it's I'm not that familiar with, like, 19th century American operas, if there were that many, but this is, like, the first international American opera. It's also one of the first... Uh, I mean, other than, like, Gilbert and Sullivan, it's, it's, like, one of the first productions that gets played in both types of houses. It gets played mm-hmm. in opera houses. It also gets played on in Broadway houses mm-hmm. as well. So it's one of those crossover uh, pieces. So... Um, but yeah, so, so um, yeah, it looks like you yeah you had most most of 2012 on that and
0: yeah it was um, it was the whole run was only nine months um, right. I don't think that's including the the previews and everything but it had right. Audra McDonald as the lead oh yeah and um, it was it I mean it's such a gorgeous but very thick you know um, right heavy story. Right. And, um, almost an entirely African-American cast. Right. And, uh, it's a beautifully horrifying story, um, but the music is so gorgeous and it's, it's hard. It's hard to say that, you know, one of the most beautiful pieces in, in musical theater doesn't last that long because people people want to leave the theater feeling uplifted. I think it's their time to sort of right. uh, be be a vegetable and sort of you know get uplifted. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that people leave Poor Game Best feeling uplifted. They're probably uncomfortable in feeling feelings that they don't like. Right. Um. And and I think it's a testament to how good the production was that it lasted even nine months. Right. Um, because
1: of that, yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's got a storied history. I, I listened to it at some point last year, because I realized I'd never heard the whole thing. I, I I knew the like there's a there's a suite of orchestral pieces from it, and I knew mm-hmm. I knew that. And of course, everybody knows "Summertime" and "And Best You is My Woman," and there's a bunch of other standards, you know, basically that. That are in every real book, fake book. <laughs> um, but I never heard of the whole thing. And yeah, one thing I found was interesting about it is um, he he was criticized for Rhapsody in Blue because he he waited too long to get around orchestrating it, so he had to pass it off to uh, the guy that did the Grand Canyon Suite, Ferdigrofe, I think is his name, and um, that was orchestrated by him. And so the the knock on Gershwin was, well, maybe he can't really orchestrate. And he did Porky and Best. He 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 wrote every note. He orchestrated all of it. And I and I think it was maybe even partly in response to just show that he could do a big work all by himself. And mm-hmm. and and it's probably one of the at least in, in American music's got to be one of the masterpieces of the first half of the 20th century. I would think. So
0: I think so. Yeah. I think so. And uh, just to fill you in on a little of the backstory with the production that i did um there were a lot of changes that were made um and i think the gershwin estate was in on them i think they probably had to approve on that Um, Mm -hmm. they probably had an advocate there when we were doing rehearsals and stuff but i just remember there were probably three different people that had their hands in the kitchen (laughs) right and, um, and, and so it made that process a little bit more difficult, but it was also, uh, it seemed like they were really trying hard to remain authentic to the original. And I think the if you go back and listen to the cast album, I think it's, it's a really powerful show, a very powerful production. I really enjoyed Norm Lewis. Um, he's right. got a very uh, interesting voice. And uh, Alicia Hall Moran, Uh, who was Audra's understudy and then went on to do the tour. She was incredible, absolutely incredible. If anyone is interested, follow her career. She does a lot of really cool stuff.
1: Right. Now, one last question on Porgy and Bess. uh, Back in the day, pits for whether it was opera or Broadway on the average were much larger than they are now. What kind of size pit did you have for this production?
0: I believe it was 23. Okay. Uh, which is smaller than the than the original right um, but it was uh, with how many how much space we had I can't right. see how they fit anybody any like a bigger orchestra down there so
1: right well, <laughs> yeah. what's what kind of brass section was it
0: It was two trombones, two trumpets, two horns
1: okay good
0: yeah and I also played tuba on it
1: right okay um, and you had a couple of short runs after this. And one, one, one I know, one I don't. I don't know Scandalous.
0: Oh, yes. That was the Kathy Lee Gifford show. Uh, she wrote it. Uh, and it was about the woman that founded the Salvation Army. Okay. Uh, it was McPherson is her last name. I can't even remember. But I, mm. that show... so. I will say there were a lot of aspects of that show that were really cool. Yeah. And it was cool because Kathy Lee was like funding this show. Right. So, uh, you know, where, where money is, a (laughs) lot of things can seem very nice. Right. However, um, I don't think the topic went over well. Um, Mm. I think everybody played their and sang their butts off, but I don't think the topic went over well. And i cannot confirm this and i don't want to put this out into the world of, um you know without this caveat but right i i heard that a couple of kathy lee stances on maybe it was some sort of um lgbtq stuff made her less favorable to the the general audience that does like theater so right i cannot confirm that i just you know we were all wondering uh why the lackluster response right. so that's those were some some theories floated
1: nice um and then you have Jekyll and Hyde and and I can say <laughs> that is a show that as far as I can tell everybody who's ever heard it or done a production of it loves it but for I guess a maybe variety of reasons it's hard to get it produced and i don't know maybe i guess for some reason didn't do that well in new york but it's one of those whenever you bring it up around like actors you know they 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 can talk about the whole sound the cast recording and they're like oh i love i love those songs you know and And so it's really great music, I think. But um, so the funny thing is,
0: yeah, the funny thing is, is that the original Jekyll and Hyde ran for five years, despite it getting terrible reviews. Oh, so um, then uh, they decided to do I don't know if it was touring prior to the tour. It was basically a tour that stopped off in, in New York and was supposed to sit down for six weeks. Right. Um, I don't know what the tour was before that, if there was a tour. But right. so this this tour, it might have been like a year prior. I uh, had um, someone from American Idol that I cannot remember. Um, long hair, Constantine, somebody. Right. And he was the lead and he was supposed to be the big draw. And Deborah Cox was the uh, the female lead and good singing. Not much about the music Had changed from the original So they were just kind of like Oh, this is going to be It's going to be fine The first one ran for five years And yeah, like you said I think people in New York Don't like Frank Wildhorn And mm. so anything attached with his name mm. People are going to immediately hate Certain, certain, like, you know uh, uh, Reviewer type people
1: oh. They're going to
0: hate it No matter what it is Okay um, Yeah, and and so that's that's rough I can't imagine having that Against you, but I, I always thought, well, man, he should write under a pen name and see if that's really true,
1: right? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, then I think it, it looks like he parked it for a little while. Beautiful, the Carol King musical. You were there for it looks almost I was six there, years. <laughs>
0: well, I was there for four and a half years. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. it ran for six years, but I actually left to go do a, a King Kong. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Oh, yeah, I see um, the overlap there. Yeah, yeah
0: yeah so that was a great show um it's the longest job i've ever had Mm. (laughs) um and i got to work with people that i absolutely love the conductor it was my third time working with this conductor jason howland Mm -hmm. and i've done a ton of stuff with him outside of of musical theater i've done like benefits and whatever for for him and he's just a lovely human to work with he's somebody that doesn't take he takes music seriously but also realizes it's just music right kind of a thing that's um, handy. <laughs> yeah you know we're not no one's gonna die there are no right. trombone emergencies um but uh so it it helps it helps maintain a very light and joyful atmosphere um yeah. and and that's really nice because i have been in the opposite situation but um right and then all the all the people in the in the pit were were very fun and and nice. It is weird to do the same thing for four and a half years. And right. I will say I did take off a lot. I actually had two surgeries during that show. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I did an Ironman um, triathlon.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, Did that I happen may... before
1: or after the surgeries? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, after, yeah. Okay. yeah. That was my big middle finger to the surgery I had to have. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I absolutely loved it. And it was one of those places, like many of the shows I've done, I haven't had an opportunity to really get to know the cast. Right. And I think when you do get to know the cast, it's so it's a much more fulfilling experience because yeah. you feel like you're part of the team. You know, right. uh, many times in shows, musicians can be kind of like put away in a corner. where othered.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But um, at Beautiful, it was just like we were all one happy family. People would come into the pit and hang out and talk and I'd go into the dressing rooms and hang out and talk. And
1: yeah, um,
0: all the leads were really cool when I was there. And yeah, it, it was a very good place overall.
1: Nice. Let's see if I can recap something that I heard. Or something that was told to me when I've talked to somebody else who's done Broadway shows, and I believe they said if you have got a long run like this, you can take off, you know, fairly liberally. They they kind of encourage that in the system to keep your kind of keep your name out there so you don't get get stuck. But the one thing they don't really care, they don't really want you to do is like go play for like another show at the same time so it's like yeah. so i assume that does that include subbing like you, you wouldn't be on a sub list if you're on a if you're principaling uh um you know beautiful
0: no i i'm not even sure that it's illegal but it's really frowned upon it might be illegal i don't know i haven't read anything about that recently but the right. only time that i did it that I have done that, like, gone and subbed on another show is because someone literally could not find anyone else that could play the show.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in those cases, it is allowed. Right. Um, it's not something you do all the time, no. But a- right. And occasionally people would get called to do short runs, something right. like City Center in New York does short runs of shows. So right. they would get hired for that, and they would just sub out that entire six weeks to somebody, Right. you know. Um, but yeah, I think subbing out makes you a better musician. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something that is uh desirable. It's very easy to get show chops right um, where all you can play is the show. Yeah. So if you can really keep on your A game, it's it's helpful for everyone. And yeah. plus they get to hear people that are in town that they may not have heard before, people right. that come in and sub for you.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Um I ha- I haven't listened to the cast recording of King Kong, but I, I would assume <laughs> There would, is no
0: cast recording.
1: Oh, there is no okay. Well that's no. why I haven't heard it. But I would assume <laughs> that music for King Kong has gotta have a good a good trombone part.
0: Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> it was so intense and yeah. so much fun. It was uh I played bass drum on and tuba on that right. and um it was a lot of blowing, a lot of loud playing and I have to say, it just felt good to play. It right. was kind of like, I think every trombone player has that that beast inside of them. It's just like, let's wail, yeah, you know, and one thing i we sat behind the trumpets so they mm-hmm. hated us so bad oh.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they hated us and because they're usually behind everybody right so they're right. blowing into the back of everybody's heads but they hated us Yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, what well, comes
1: around goes around right so yeah
0: exactly <laughs> um
1: yeah i mean i'm sh- i'm sure it's completely different music and all that um when i think about like music for king kong I- i'm a big film music nerd
0: that's exactly what it was. Uh,
1: really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, except
0: for like a hat, like maybe four or five tunes that had okay. lyrics to them. Everything else was underscore, and it was amazing.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but you know the the nineteen thirty three like original King Kong, that was um, the music was by Max Steiner. You know, most famous for like Casablanca and Gone with the Wind, and that is considered pretty universally to be like the first important film score for a, you know, in the sound era of films. It's like, because like, there's a whole uh, like, if you watch the original Frankenstein and Dracula from 1931, mm-hmm. there's main title music and in credit music and nothing in between. It's like, they did not trust having music going on. They just thought that would just be too distracting, but uh, whoever, the, the producers of King Kong thought differently and they they let Max Steiner write, really probably music from a musical craftsmanship, maybe the best score he's ever done. It's like it's just this ferocious dissonance in in the beginning. And of course it's got this love theme, you know, sort of quasi in quasi love theme, you know, for the famous uh Empire State building climb, you know, and all that I wish
0: we had played any of that music. uh,
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I just always kind of associate it with that. But you know, there's also I I haven't heard it, but John Barry who you know known for james Bond, but also like dances with wolves out of africa he he did the 1976 king kong so i'm sure that's probably a different take but
0: <laughs> yeah the, the the version we did had uh, i think so the the king kong production mm-hmm. as a broadway show had many different forms mm. um in fact, Jason Robert Brown, I went to one of his performances here in town, and he actually was, for a brief moment, the composer for oh. King Kong. Wow. And so he played in the 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 performance, he played a, a King Kong tune. Oh. Um, wasn't what ended up in the show, obviously. Right. And even uh, my the conductor I worked with at Beautiful, he was hired and fired from the show without ever having written a note.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, nice.
0: So it was just the the turnover at King Kong was so great, and I I'm the the name of the gentleman that wrote most of the source music mm-hmm. for King Kong. I I cannot remember his name, mm. but it was uh I believe he was English or Australian, and he it basically had to be an arrangement of whatever he decided that was going to be,
1: mm.
0: and uh, so it fell on the shoulders of the orchestrator wow um yeah. to to do um and and you know he did it, and so it was very disjunct. The music was very right. uh, yeah, it, it was kind of wild, but the the underscoring, I thought was fantastic. I thought it was pretty fun and sounded like a movie,
1: right. when you're doing these Broadway shows, uh like especially even the cast recordings, do you meet the orchestrators at any point? do they talk to you oh yeah, yeah. oh,
0: yeah. And sometimes it's more involved than others. In West Side Story, uh, uh, Jonathan Tunic was there all the time. Right. Um, and because he had actually studied with and worked for Leonard Bernstein. Right. So uh, he was always there. And we were doing... Um, like, they had taken the original instrumentation and made it smaller, which is right. a big no-no. <laughs> right. Um, I think originally for the Bernstein estate. And, and they obviously uh um gave their blessing for this production but someone was there from the estate almost every time the orchestra was there so every single thing that we changed had to be approved right um which was pretty cool and and it's one of the reasons why the pit was not covered because i believe they have it in some sort of some sort of uh prerequisite that the pit cannot be covered for west side story right which, you know, mm. most pits end up being mm. covered on Broadway now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if I if I did the math right, you got three weeks of West Side Story before the world <laughs> shut down.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were actually in previews for quite a bit. We were in previews since November. Mm-hmm. So we went November. We were supposed to open earlier than we did. Someone hurt themselves. Mm. And so we went way longer with previews than was originally intended. And then... um Yeah, we opened at the end of February, and three weeks later, COVID. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, And, well, I'm going to just assume, you know, that like the entire world of theater was talking about the trailer for the movie, you know, uh, on Sunday. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to assume that's just kind of like the movie when, when Les Mis came out, it sparked interest in the show. The show came back stronger than ever. Um, I'm going to assume there's going to be a place for that when Broadway opens back up. So is, is that still a gig? The, have people told you like we're coming back or, or is it all up in the air?
0: Um, I think, well, with Broadway, I've learned that um, if someone says you're running, that could change in, mm. you know, at any moment. Right. Um, but i do think that as far as i know that there is a desire to bring it back right. um and it would be it would be like opening a new show though right because we'd all have to go back into rehearsal mm. um, yeah <laughs> and that's you know think about if anybody's bodies change we we're working with a fairly young cast so yeah. if anybody's bodies change if they're more muscular or less muscular if they gained weight lost weight whatever all those ca- costumes have to be redone
1: mm.
0: um the musicians some people i know have moved away mm. <laughs> they don't live here anymore so right. you know uh there there's a number of things that have to happen before we can go back but right. uh i I don't think I've heard from the from the company manager in a year mm. um and i don't I think they've changed the management company too, so I'm right. not sure I'm not sure what's gonna happen. I'm hopeful, but we were also caught up in I don't know if you followed any of the Scott Rudin stuff that happened that popped up in the New York Times and whatever. Uh Scott Rudin was a producer on our shows. He was a producer on Music Band, Book of Mormon. He's been in countless like movies and uh producer. So um right. He he was embroiled in something of a scandal mm. and um it remains to be seen what's going to happen with that he he made the apologies and said he was going to work on stuff and step back no one knows what that looks like right and uh people quit because of the allegations it's i think it was a well-known secret that um he was kind of not as nice as he could have been
1: right Hmm. Hmm.
0: um i never had any interaction with him i got two or three emails during COVID asking how we were. And I don't know if that was him or if it was like, you know, uh, an assistant, but I thought that was kind. Yeah. Um, that's the only interaction I've ever had with him. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just want to work. I just want to, just want to play the music and, and hopefully I'll get to do it there again because my horns are still there. Right. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I left them there. Okay.
1: wishful thinking right well now you still you you still have horns because you're still playing right
0: oh yeah, yeah yeah i have spares oh good yeah uh
1: yeah so um let's talk about some non-theater stuff uh sure you, you, you've got a you've got a project with a with kind of an eye-catching name so, so, t- <laughs> so tell us about bone gasm
0: okay bonegasm is for trombones and rhythm section and uh i define it Uh, a bonegasm is the feeling of pleasure you have centered in the ears when mm -hmm. listening to a group of trombone players nice (laughs) and um Yeah. yeah uh it's it's our my mission is to commission people to write music for the trombone because uh in jazz i like to say that we're the Fat kid at kickball were always the last chosen for ensembles. Right. And unless it's a big band, and especially if if a trombone player is leading the band, of course there's a trombone player in the band. Right. But um at one time in in life, the trombone was a very popular instrument in the Tommy Dorsey days. So it's. I wanted to imagine what the world would be like if trombone was still a popular instrument, if people still adored the trombone as much as I do. And I, so I just started asking composers to write for just trombone. And right. typically, it's big band composers because they're not completely unfamiliar with for trombone writing. Right. But uh, it's interesting. It's it's been so cool to see what they come up with, and it, it, everything's so different. And. Right. Um, and as somebody that came up the classical route and and decided to learn how to improvise when i was almost 40 right uh it's been really cool and terrifying to lead a band
1: <laughs> right so now is yeah. j- is jazz like mostly what you what they play or is there like other styles oh
0: yeah no, I, well so it's it's like jazz but it's all encompassing so we do latin jazz okay uh swing a little bit of swing and it's it's more modern swing um we do some uh straight eighth stuff but okay. it's definitely you would not hear this and not wonder if it was jazz or not right okay um and yeah. the, even the last the last album the the most current album that just came out on the 23rd of April uh has we do a cover of a Soundgarden tune so that grunge oh. band from the 90s yeah yeah, yeah so it, yeah. it's it's pretty fun and nice. and I think the trombone is a pretty versatile instrument because you know, it's it's had a such a long career in the history of music, and it can be right. like going to church, or it can be like you know going to war, or it right. can be a lot of things, and it can be like the human voice. It can be so many things. So I think it's I'm enjoying hearing how people interpret. You know, nice. Folk
1: and are there any other projects that you have going on, or is Bonegasm pretty much it, or do you have anything else?
0: well that's my that's been my biggest thing i during COVID, i did go back to school mm-hmm. so um i'm getting a jazz master's degree which i never thought i would finish my master's and i right. never thought it would be in jazz <laughs> right um, so that's been fun and also horrifying right. but We're, i i uh, what'd you say i'm oh,
1: sorry where are you going to school
0: oh uh new jersey city university okay and it just kind of fell in my lap uh, in August, maybe like a week before school was supposed to start. And right. I've been I've been enjoying it um, for the most part. I've been really digging getting into composing. So I got commissioned by some some folks that we met on the. My husband is also a jazz trombonist and uh, plays in my band. John Fedchak, he's world renowned jazz trombonist. Mm. Um, but we got commissioned by some folks we met on the jazz cruise a couple years ago uh mm. to do a tune together so i wrote i wrote about two-thirds of the tune and then my husband arranged it right. and we just were we're gonna do like a virtual recording and i'm gonna send it to the the folks that commissioned it so i'm excited and hopefully I'll get to play it maybe on the the next bone Gasm album <laughs> nice <laughs>
1: yeah um let's see just before we before we finish the interview i just always like to ask are there is there like a a a standout horror story from your time of playing in the pit
0: i did make the two reed players behind me on beautiful cry
1: oh (laughs) okay
0: i okay so when you play a show for a long time um a lot of people memorize the book and i don't trust myself enough to memorize the book Mm -hmm. but i did have a lot of it memorized um and To the point where I'd look up from being on my phone or whatever I was doing and not see the right music and not even know what act we were in. (laughs) Wow. Because I had gone so long without turning a page, I didn't know even where we were. Right. And (laughs) most of the time I could catch myself in two seconds and it would be fun. Uh, You know, no, whatever, no, except for the people that really pay attention in in the pit right because we all live for these moments to yeah. happen because it means something different is happening. Right. But uh one night uh there there was a solo that's in the clear on the on the tenor trombone and I'm just doing whatever I was doing I don't know if I was reading a magazine or something and I knew it was coming up and it, I'm all ready for it. And I look up and the wrong music is up. I don't even know what tune it is, but I know I'm supposed to play solo. I'm like, I totally have this. Mm -hmm. I did not have it. (laughs) I did not have it at all. I have no idea what came out of my horn, but all I know is when it was over, the guys behind me were crying Mm. from laughing so hard. Wow. That is my best moment
1: nice. on Broadway. Nice. <laughs> now is that also? That almost sounds like a fond memory too. Do, do you have well, like... <laughs> I mean, it,
0: it's. Yeah. I can laugh at it now. I was mortified, right? And, you know, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, well, so so just on the flip side of that, is there a is there a fond memory that like pops up from time to time when you're just that sums up why you love playing for Pitts?
0: Yeah, you know, it's as silly as it sounds, um, when we were doing King Kong, there's a scene where the the puppet, it was a giant 2,000-pound puppet, and right. the puppet <laughs> would get, he would get shot. You know, the scene where he's on top of the building, he gets shot, and right. he dies. Spoiler, he dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the music was so powerful and mm-hmm. required so much physically. From me, I was on, on the tuba at the time. It required so much physically for me that it was like four or five weeks of the hair on my arms standing up. Right. Like every time it happened. And that, like as a musician, that doesn't happen. Like the older you get, the more infrequently that happens. Right. So I was just like, man, that is why we play. We're always sort of living for those moments and i right. got it in the middle of this weird broadway show with a giant 2000 pound gorilla right. and, <laughs> you know, who didn't sing or dance but he was the star of the show right um and right. it was it was pretty incredible to find something like that there so i i think it taught me that you never know What's gonna be meaningful to you right. in music, and you gotta take it whenever it comes, especially as you get old and crusty. <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> right. I mean, I expected uh, Rock of Ages to be a really silly show, uh, but you know, that's it's one of those jukebox musicals. But it's all these '80s great rock songs, and if you're a keyboardist or anybody who plays in that show, it's so fun. And I get, I have so many fond memories of playing that when probably by like most artistic measurements it's not a great show (laughs) but it's just so fun you know and and you get you know you never know what kind of shows are just going going to affect you like that so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um all right well where can people follow you or follow any of your projects
0: sure i am on instagram i'm i'm just at jennifer wharton um And us like Wharton School of Business. Um, okay, right. And I'm on Facebook. My band is on Facebook, too. So I have a band page, Jennifer Wharton's Bonegasm. And mm-hmm. I have my own personal page, uh, Jennifer Wharton. I think it's like jennifer.wharton.31 or something okay and i'm on youtube and that's just jenniferwharton youtube.com slash Wharton. i've got a ton of videos in fact last summer um my husband and i did two months worth of question of the day where we did like a, a stupid shtick oh um, nice and it was adorable so they're all like a minute long they're pretty fun okay And I've got videos with uh, my band, and I do some composer interviews on there. And, yeah, I'm just trying to remain creative while we're in this pause.
1: Great. (laughs) Oh, and
0: if anyone wants to listen to the album, you can find it wherever music is streamed or sold. But uh, I do encourage people to buy music for people like me that are, you know, I'm not I'm no Taylor Swift. Right. Um, (laughs) But I do, um, I do, that money does help me. Uh, If you stream my album, the record label gets two cents and I get 35% of that two cents. So it is most beneficial if you like the music to buy the album. Right,
1: right. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a great interview. Um, Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me.
0: Yeah, thank you for asking me. Um, I'm looking forward to splicing it up and have me just say dirty things. Yeah. (laughs) I was so proud of myself. I didn't
1: swear once. And that wraps up episode number 53. Thank you for tuning into this. Uh, Again, please make sure, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, to follow if you want to continue receiving episodes. And I will be back with you next week on Friday, June 18th. As a reminder, if you want to be aware of what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, twitter or facebook at life in the pit pod you can follow me on instagram at david lane music or twitter and facebook at david m lane music as always a special thanks to mark parolo for his cover art and to bill Sissna for providing the introduction to this podcast the theme music is composed and performed by david lane you can find out more about the podcast leave feedback or leave a donation at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and please share with your friends. Thank you
0: for listening.